Appointment Ministries Podcast Network. Strength for today's pastor. Here's your host, Bill Holdridge. Bill is the director of Poiman Ministries, which is a team of former longtime senior pastors who are available to strengthen pastors, to strengthen churches. Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastors. This is Bill Holdridge. I'm the host of our program today, and this program itself is sponsored by Poiman Ministries. So excited today to have my friend Paul Berry. Paul is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Santa Maria. Just got to spend some time with you, Paul, down here in Santa Maria. Thanks for joining us on the uh, program today. Oh, what a pleasure, Bill. Yes, it was a joy to have you come and help us with a transition plan uh, for Lucy and I heading out into uh, a new field of ministry. So blessings to you, brother. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks. I appreciated the time there. It was great, and I got to appreciate you and the work in Santa Maria even more than I did before and the people that you have around you and the way the church flows and functions and it's just it's just good it's just good and so those of you that are tuning in to this program uh, Pastor Paul has been the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Maria since April of 1992 when he started there were 50 or 60 adults or so and three elders but it has since then grown into a much, much larger church. And I'm going to have uh, Paul talk about that. He wants to talk about the subject today, which is developing elders and uh, how to how to really structure your elder board, those kinds of subjects. Would that be a fair assessment of what we're going to talk about, Paul? Yes, that that's exactly what I'd like to speak about today. Okay, good. Well, let's get rolling. I mean, you... You came into a situation that was deficient with leaders. You had a pretty good starting group. 50 or 60 people isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Um, a number of people to start uh, with a replant, really, which is what it was going to end up being. And you only had three elders. So, you know, you, the process started. Just talk about it a little bit, your history. Well, coming to Calvary Chapel Santa Maria, um It was a bit of a lopsided leadership in that the deacons board was much larger than the elders. And there didn't seem to be any flow from those men who were deacons to become elders. Wasn't really any quantified process for a deacon to become an elder. And, And the elders that were eldering then, and of course were part of the board that uh, elected me as their next senior pastor, uh, were good men, no doubt about that, and and several of them are so, still with us here 27 years later. But w- w- I, I really felt as though what the Lord wanted me to do was to begin to develop leaders, to develop men within our body, not outside our body, but develop men within our body that would be, first of all, lovers of Christ, love the Word of God, friends of the Bible, know the Bible, have daily devotions are 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 really generous and faithful in giving and and men that lead you know um I've heard it said, and it might have been Pastor Chuck that said, uh, choose men that are already eldering uh and and then acknowledge what God has already done in their lives and 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 so uh, in developing a process for um men in our church to become elders was one that uh, really began when um, a, a dear elder in my life 
James Laporte and Calvary Chapel Hanford, uh, really began to put together a, a method of systematic study to become an elder at Calvary Chapel Hanford. And, and it was just a precious time. Uh, and, and I wanted to duplicate that and extend it some. So we started a school of ministry in the, in the fall of 1992 that would begin to allow men within our body who desired to be a part of um, the presbytery or, or to be an elder. Here's where you can start. And, and this is the process by which at the end of two and a half to three years, um, it's possible for you to be able to be elected as an elder. And, and it, it just worked famously. We, our, our initial class had uh, 15 or 16 men in it. And out of that class came five men that I would later kick out of the nest to plant churches around uh, Santa Barbara County and San Luis Obispo County. And uh, they were just good men that understood God's calling in their life and, and had this kind of holy frustration that God had more for them. And I'm not trying to attribute that holy frustration to me stirring them up, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit uh, began to use that school of ministry to stir these men up to believe that God wanted to use them in larger arenas. And and uh, what a joy it was to begin with those men 27 years ago. That's an amazing story in this sense, Paul, is that you, you arrived in Santa Maria in, in April of 1992, and by fall, you already had a school of ministry going with 12 to 15 men. I mean, for some yeah. guys, they wait way too long. They, they don't want to they don't want to do it that quickly, but you jumped right in. Well, I, I, I remember one wise pastor saying, don't do too much changing in the first year of ministry. Uh, and and um, I, I wanted to follow that. Ricky Ryan down in Santa Barbara, Calvary, is a dear friend and, and certainly was someone who spoke so much into my life. And, and so he and I had a lot of conversations over the phone and and um, we talked about a school of ministry. We talked about how he elects elders. And, and I just believed that God had something unique for us. And, and uh, so that, that's kind of what was birthed out of, out of my interest in duplicating what was done for me. And great things came out of that. Yeah. And still do, actually. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing is that I, and I did this, I was guilty of this. I, I'm ashamed to admit this now, looking back, you know, 27 years in Monterey, but I did not, for seasons, different seasons in the ministry, I did not even name elders. I had guys that I looked to as elders, but I didn't name them. I didn't let people know who they were. And I noticed that's kind of a trend for some pastors within our tribe and maybe even in other tribes as well. But uh, you did. Yeah. You, you named them. You wanted them to know what the clear path to being an elder was or a deacon and you wanted them to be identified because you wanted them to lead. Yes, exactly. I wanted the congregation to recognize that these were under shepherds that had the authority to make decisions apart from me. So in, in a sense, I was seeking to duplicate my mindset, my my philosophy of ministry, my vision of ministry. And each of these guys so that um, a person in the congregation could come to any one of them 
rather than just seeking me out, could come to one of them and, and in essence, get the same answer from them that they would from me. And, and if they second-guessed their answer and came to me later and said, oh, well, this is what Pastor Terry said, well, I'm not going to argue with that. That's, that's a wonderful answer. You do what he told you to do. That principle, well, that principle that you just, you just talked about, you, you didn't just give them responsibility, Paul. You gave them responsibility and authority. And they watched that happening in the men that you'd mm-hmm. already trained. And that gave them confidence and hope that they were going to actually be able to do real ministry with real leadership in your church. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to happen. I have no idea that our church would, would blow up as much as it did. And, and, um, blow up in a good sense. (laughs) Yes. In a good sense. (laughs) Not in a terrorist sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so God began to, um, to place in, in, in very important positions, oversight in different ministries from an elder who I fully trusted and, and had delegated authority to him. Um, you know, delegation goes downhill and responsibility goes uphill. So, uh, I would take responsibility for a decision they made, but uh, in, in sense, I would delegate the authority to them and let them make that decision, even if it wasn't exactly what I would decide, because I wanted the congregation to see I trust this man who's over children's ministry, over men's ministry, a man over women's ministry, over missions and, and things like that. And it just works so well. It, it, and it still works so well. Well, I've been around your guys and talked with yeah. a number of them and, and it does work well. These are good men. These are quality, solid, Bible yeah. loving, Jesus loving, spirit filled men, like you described them earlier. And, uh, boy, you know, it's just wonderful. It is. Early in my pastoral experience, I met a young man by the name of Bob Probert, who was with Craig Laurie's ministry. And he's really the one that turned me on to Israel and taking study tours to Israel. And uh, Lucy and I have taken over 25 study tours from our church to Israel uh, almost every year, not every year. But in, in that, I saw such a benefit for the men who had gone through the school of ministry now I want them to stand where they've been studying and see it and bring it back to my body, to the church body, and just say, oh, no, this is, this is what it's like, and this is where I've been. These are the smells, the sounds, the touches. This is, what I, this is just so great. And, and I think that's been part of really the education of our whole body. I, I, I realized that when I came to Calvary Santa Maria, that the that the body in general was mostly women, mostly wives, married to men that didn't attend, although they were Christians, and married to men who were not Christians and had no interest in in becoming Christians. And and it's as you said, Bill, it wasn't long before they recognized that oh, there's a process in Calvary Santa Maria now where I can be more than just a guy filling a seat in the congregation. I can get into ministry. I could perhaps in in the years to come be ordained and then kicked out of the nest to start a church somewhere. Mm. And and some some men were genuinely excited about that. And 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 what a joy to be a part of that with the guys that have been sent out. And you were proactive. That's what I love. You weren't 
just watching men in your church and seeing if they were going to get involved in children's ministry or whether they were going to pick up trash in the parking lot and then, you know, give them a title. You were proactive. You gave them something to do. You gave them a vision. You gave them a target to aim at. And those Mm -hmm. that God had called, they could flourish. Yes. And, and flourish they did. Some were reluctant in taking up like the oversight of the children's ministry, perhaps long before we had a children's director or children's pastor. And it was, you know, they felt like it was the salt mine of the church. And, and many of those guys over the years, though we would transit them into other ministries later, really saw it as one of the greater blessings in their life to be able to minister to the kids of our church. Yeah, and to provide male leadership in that area yeah. of the church's ministries is really important, isn't it? it? It's just so great. Yeah, it's so great. So you've got um, guys that are from within your own fellowship, are your, are your elder board. These are your guys that you meet with. These are the guys that you entrust ministry to and give authority to. Uh, talk about uh, the situation where guys haven't raised up people from within their own church, or maybe their board meets infrequently, or maybe their board is made up of men that are not even on site. They don't even live in the area. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I think it's really a very unhealthy position to take as a senior pastor to say, I, I don't want oversight of my ministry on a weekly or monthly, even a yearly basis. I'm going to meet with guys that know me, but they really don't know my ministry. And I'll meet with them at a pastor's conference and we'll have lunch together at a table or something like that. And that's our board meeting, which is necessary for, you know, not-for-profit state uh, religious corporations. And and that's it. But um, And I knew several pastors that did that. And I, and I actually was asked to be uh, an elder in a church um, that nowhere near our community. And, and I said, well, okay, but um, I, I only want to meet with you maybe one or two times because I, I, I encourage that pastor grow up men from your own congregation, mm-hmm. men that are going to lovingly challenge you and, and maybe even lovingly correct you or lovingly reprove you. Um, there's been a number of times when, um, y- you know, senior pastors or pastors in general will often get a handwritten letter in their in their box, and and I I don't read them anymore, but I used to read them, and and I remember one that had like Luther's 99 thesis on it, and all these issues. <laughs> it was crazy of of why I was such a terrible pastor, and so Lucy, my wife, said, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to sit down with my elders." Mm-hmm. Not with other pastors. I'm going to sit down with my elders who know me, mm-hmm. know our ministry, and I'm going to ask you what degree of truth is in any, I think there were 21 points, any degree of truth in any of these 21 pr- uh, uh, issues. And you know what? We had some things that were important for me to hear mm-hmm. from them that said, you know what, Paul number five is something that I, I think you you need to pay attention to because maybe that's a blind spot in your ministry, you're not aware of that. Not that you you intended to be antagonistic or unempathetic or unsympathetic. Those are things sometimes said of me. 
Um, it, but, but this is just the way it's become and, and let's do something. And yes, I would, yes. And I would say to the elder, because I know that you love me and I know that you love this church. You love this church. You love God more than the church, but you love the church. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's set up a system where I, I can be corrected into a, a position where you feel really good about that. And, um, and that was important in my early years of ministry. And, and there were no lack of handwritten letters, I, I would say. Um, but there wasn't any lack of loving correction in my life, which I, I, I can't say that I was looking for that, but I, I didn't shun it when it happened. And I can't imagine how a pastor in some other state uh, would be able to respond to those things with respect to my church and for me to glean something from even a discouraging word, you know, otherwise a discouraging word. I would strongly encourage pastors, build up men, appoint elders in your church, and and appoint men that you're going to systematically educate to a place where they are loving shepherds, where where they're not going to beat the sheep, but they're going to love the sheep, and they're going to teach and disciple the sheep. And, you know, Chuck would always say, healthy sheep are the sheep that reproduce, and, mm-hmm. and that's what we wanted, you know, and uh and that's what I've endeavored to do. I, I would strong any any pastor listening to this podcast, I strongly encourage you, begin praying, even fasting, that God would recognize men in your church that you might begin to disciple, to raise up, perhaps even to use a school of ministry of your own design to build men up to be shepherds that you can fully trust. That's such a good word. Two years of schooling is what you provide for your elders, a study tour of Israel, guys raised up from your own fellowship. Those are the the earmarks of the whole thing, as I understand it. Yeah. Yes. So if a man would come to me and say, oh, can I pastor a Calvary Chapel? And I would typically say, "Well, well, if I didn't know him, well, there's a process to that. And I want to encourage you to follow that process. But if you cannot follow that process, then I can't really help you. And and I would lay out the two-year, four semesters over two years, and then a study tour to Israel. And then uh, uh, sometimes a prolonged period of just praying and fasting over that man and his family, watching his wife, watching his children, listening to perhaps his employer speak about him, so that there's a good word in the community besides just a good word within our church. And, 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 and in the end, we, we've had some stellar men in our community who have become humble servants and great, not good, but great shepherds in our church. So blessed by that. Okay, so I can hear, Paul, uh, some men listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I came into this community. I had a small group of people to work with. There weren't any Calvary Chapel people here. Everybody was coming from another church somewhere. They had all kinds of ideas from all kinds of different backgrounds. I couldn't make any of these guys elders, and I don't have time for two years of training. What do you say to them? Well, I, I would say to you that you you don't have time to deal with the issues by yourself. You need men to shore up and be your bulwark, to be men that will that will. Um, not be yes men, but men 
that will support your vision for ministry, your interest in winning the loss for Christ in your community. You want to see the lame walk. You want to see the blind see. And you, you, you need men that are going to be that kind of influence in their community. And and to say, I don't have time for that, brother, you you have to make time for that. You really do. You don't have time not to do it, because if you don't do it, then these are going to be people that are going to come into positions of influence, and they're not going to think like the pastor does. They're not going to feel or have the same heart that the pastor does, and they're going to end up being the ones that cause church splits and greater angst in the long run if they don't start. So, yeah, I would jump on what you're saying and just say to that pastor who would have that kind of objection and fear, start. Start right where you're at identify men from within and start where you're at doesn't matter how long it takes even the starting of the process is going to be healthy for you and for your church yes absolutely and and be careful as you watch men watch how they interact with their wives how they look at other women in the church how they speak to their children um these are all telltale signs of a man that may not be perfect uh, and likely isn't perfect, but he he's a man with a teachable spirit, with with a desire to grow up in the Lord, and and take his rightful place in 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 God's process for his life. I love to see this whole vision of being an elder and being eventually being a pastor in our church or, or pastor sent out from our church, uh, just grow in a man's mind and in his wife and. And yeah, there's that quantum leap when they finally leave our church. And, and um, in the past, we would typically plant a church with 10 families from our church. So I would have people raise their hands. How many, how many families are looking for 10 families that will go out with this man to plant this church in a community 20 miles away? And we'd get 10 families to raise their hands. And they would be 10 families that believed in this man, believed in his heart, in his and his vision for ministry, and and said, we will couple our wagon <laughs> with your team of horses, and, and we're going to stay with you and, and see this church grow. That doesn't happen automatically. I, I, I've never been approached by a super godly man with a teachable spirit that just suddenly appeared in the door one day. And um, this has to be discipled into a man, into a family, in, in, into... Um, an elder, a, perhaps an usher that would become a deacon, that would become an elder, that would be ordained as a pastor and then sent out. Mm-hmm. I, I love that process. I really do. Yeah, I, I can tell. I can hear your enthusiasm and what you're doing. And not, Somebody would say, well, you're, you're counting on a church program of two years of training and a study tour to Israel to make elders. But you're countering that and you're saying, no, no, we're, we don't do it that way. We watch these men. We look as the character of Christ is being formed in them. And those are the mm-hmm. ones that we can see God's hand on their lives. And they're the ones that we start to give authority to as well as responsibility. That's what I'm hearing you say. It's really true. In fact, to to gain entrance into the school of ministry, uh, we have a questionnaire we give to the wives that would really ask pretty, I think, uh, important and tough questions concerning their husband within the home, outside the home, in the church environment, with their children, because the wives love their husbands and want the most wives do want the best for their husband. 
and are pretty pretty upfront about things. And and sometimes there's a discipling process that has to begin even before the school of ministry. And but we involve the whole family. And and it's as you said, Bill, um, because the children need to be in order. Because a wife needs to be lovingly submitted to her husband, even as the church is to Jesus Christ. That there's this keen sense that this family is in order. And and they're not going to cause disorder being given a position that would be too lofty too quickly. You're vetting them. That's what you're doing. You're, yeah. you're vetting oh, the yeah. ones that God has hand on. I, I think that's important to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, Pastor, listening to if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, I can't do that. I, we don't do study tours to Israel. There are so many Calvaries that go inject them into one of those. But but a discipling process. We have always wanted to be a discipling church. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And that's what we want to do. Um, and, and my job is to make uh, disciples out of men. My wife is diligent in making disciples out of women. And I think the whole process in general ends up raising healthy children that have a vision for a future ministry for themselves as well, which is really really cool generational yes generational yeah um and and you know there's been some mistakes i'll I'll have to say there have been some there have been elders uh in our church in fact um even pastors in our church um that have made some very grave mistakes that have brought tremendous ruin even shipwrecking their family because of decisions that they made and Congregation members have asked me, well, why didn't you see this coming? And, and I'll take the responsibility for that. I should have seen this coming. I should have been asking the questions that would have led to perhaps them divulging a, a vulnerability to whatever it was that le- led to the shipwrecking. But sometimes it, there's so much deceit, so much, so much lying in certain issues that you can't tell. But um, I uh, generally I'm I'm so happy over 27 years of the men who are now pastoring Calvaries. Uh, we planted seven churches and and men that are in ministry all over the world, really, uh, and, and not because of me, but because they had the teachable heart. They're the ones that made decisions, not me, decisions to follow the cause of Christ and and uh, to the glory of God, to the Amen. glory of Jesus. That, that's what we've wanted. Amen. Well, to summarize, and this has been such an excellent discussion, Paul, and I, I know guys are going to be encouraged. I'm encouraged by this. This is great. To summarize, uh, be intentional and make it your aim and your absolute goal to raise up male disciples from within your church. Give them a clear pathway to leadership within the church. Watch their yeah. lives. See if they're able to handle the responsibility and then mm-hmm. as their character is obvious that it's Christ-like in the home and in the public and in business, then give them resp- give them authority along with their responsibility. And eventually you'll be able to identify whether they are your elders or not. And if they are, then they're part of your team of 8 to 12 men that you have around you that are assisting you in overseeing the church. Is that a fair summary? That's That's exactly right. Bill, thank you so much. Um, that's exactly right, and and I think the church grows in a healthy environment like that. It's it's like 
um, the good bed in a garden with good soil that men can uh, find a place to plant themselves and feel as though I'm going to be fruitful here. And that's what I've always wanted in this church. And, and I believe that's what we have. It really is. I think it's what you have. And I think the Lord gave you that desire and he gave you the wisdom and the background to be able to implement it. So final word, Paul, anything yeah. that you'd like to share with the men as we wrap up this podcast? Well, um, I think there's there's room to be careful, and and I would say if you're going to start a school of ministry, you're going to start raising and discipling men to become, maybe to become ushers, to become then deacons and and elders. Um, do start slowly, but let the Lord pray over them. Let the Lord anoint them for each position, and and wait, wait until you see the fruit in their life that accompanies the kind of heart that's going to shepherd your church the way you would shepherd the church. So, so you can, you can go to Zimbabwe for a year, even if I don't, I don't know, but that's an extreme, but, <laughs> and, and know that your church is being shepherded by men who have the same heart that you have. And what a joy, Bill, to be able to share that with others. I, I hope it's been useful for other men. Can, um, can guys reach out to you for more information if they would uh, like to have some follow-up to this? I, I, I would be happy to share our, uh, our entire curriculum, the books that we use, even the, the questions I've written as men go through these books, uh, discussion questions for two years worth of classes. I, I would share any of that because it's not mine. I really believe the Holy Spirit gave it to me. And, 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 you, you know, that's what Calvary's like. We share things. And, and I was given so much wonderful material as a young pastor. I want to give that as well. So if they'd like to, um, maybe they could contact Poyman and Bill, you could pass their email on to me. Okay. All right. I'll do that. So just, uh, contact Poyman Ministries at strongerpastors at gmail.com, strongerpastors at gmail.com. And if you don't remember that, if you're driving, just go to the Poyman Ministries website, go to the contact tab, and go ahead and send that email to, to in, and I'll receive that email, and let me know what you need, and I will uh, send uh, all of these emails on to Pastor Paul. Thanks for that generous offer, Paul. I yeah, think some guys are going to take you up on that. That's a great offer. Well, this is concluding today's broadcast of Strength for Today's Pastor, and again, I'd like to thank you, Paul, for joining us. It's been great. I think very helpful, and may the Lord be glorified as we prayed earlier by everything that's been said in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries. You can find us at poymanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question, or desire to connect with us, or if you have a comment or a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. Until we meet again, may you continue to be a strengthened pastor.